0: hear the world sounds. This episode features Andrew Draper, co-founder of ManPax and designer and developer at Hootsuite Labs.
1: So hey Andrew, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. So where are you from? What did you study and how did your passion in entrepreneurship develop? Originally,
2: I'm from northern Ontario, multiple places, and ended up in Ottawa after college. I actually went to college in North Bay for graphic communications. And the very, I believe it was the last semester, they brought us into the computer area and we're like, yeah, we got this like new thing called the internet. This was like 94, 95. And I distinctly remember the one professor, and he was the guy I really didn't like, and it turns out I learned the most from. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> exactly. Um, and he says uh, something to the, to the effect of, you might make a few of your a few dollars off of this at some point in your career. Turns out every dollar I've ever made <laughs> since college has been a result of the internet. <laughs> but... <laughs> so, And as far as um, where my entrepreneurship came from, Probably pretty early on. My grandfather started a cable company in northern Ontario in the tri-towns in the uh, New Eskert area. And he, my uncle ran that after my grandfather retired. So it was always very close. And that's the one I remember the most. And I remember my brother and I, um, I was trying to learn magic as a kid for a while. And I decided we'd do a magic show and made up this, somewhere I think there's a photo of this sign that we made up out of wood and like tacked it into the front yard and waited for that day and of course nobody showed up so that was <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty bad
0: conversion optimization small town though right so. small town we
2: lived <laughs> on a very quiet street
0: it was a dumb idea <laughs> <laughs> you got to get but, those out of the way so you know where to focus your energy
2: totally so there was that um i remember i can't remember if it was just after high school or during college my uncle after selling the cable company, had a, a bike shop, and he had encouraged me to work out a business plan to figure out how to rent bikes on the waterfront in North Bay. This is before I moved to Ottawa. Um, ultimately, got shut down by the city because they decided I needed a ridiculous amount of insurance, and of course, a couple years later, they now rent bikes on the waterfront.
0: waterfront. <laughs> So well, that's
2: that probably set in uh, in motion my hatred for bureaucracy. <laughs> in hindsight, I know where all my lessons came from <laughs> i I
0: would have thought it was deeper rooted than that, but there you go.
2: <laughs> it probably is <laughs> I might be oversimplifying
0: it, <laughs> yeah. yeah so so you've likened yourself to uh to a reese's peanut butter cup uh because you can combine uh, both design and development skill sets um which which has helped you launch you know several companies and, and projects since um college so uh, some of them include man packs snappable and scratchpad uh, so what do these three companies do how did you come up with the concept and, and where are they now um yeah well to to back up
2: kind of a half step the the reese peanut butter kind of design Development stuff, it, it's kind of fitting given that in a weird sort of way, we're in kind of a, an economic downturn, even though technology wise, we're in a huge upswing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came out of college for graphics, I wanted to be a print designer. And like I said, my one professor showed us the internet. And I interviewed at an agency in Ottawa, and they were like, Well, you know, we, we don't really have a whole lot of work for you, but if you could figure this out, we've got some projects coming on, and like nobody knows how to do it. So I, it was, I believe it was like an 8- or 12-page printout to learn HTML. And so I kind of learned that over a weekend or so and went back to them and was like, yeah, perfect, no problem. <laughs> um, so that was my humble beginnings. Actually, it wasn't my beginnings. My parents always were good and bought computers and whatnot. And so I learned to code DOS like when I was very young but um, left computers for a long time and only came back to them during college for the design stuff and that. And so over the years, what's, I've been lucky with that first introduction to coding that every time I would get, and I get bored very easily too, <laughs> so I, I tend to want to learn new things fairly often. And so as the technology moved forward, whether it was um, at that time JavaScript, then Flash, then PHP and MySQL, um, and now on to you know all kinds of things with mobile, and and all the rest of it. I've also worked in Python and Rails, um, which for a designer is a little ridiculous. I wouldn't say I'm good at any of them, but I can make shit work. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I was lucky enough to just kind of move my kind of I hate the word career because I don't think I really had a career. Um, I moved my life to all these different things, and as a result, something like Manpacks. So Manpacks was sort of Manpacks actually wasn't the first one. Rimrocked was the very first sort of technology thing that I did that uh, me and another guy um, and another this company had these satellite GPS devices and they were trying to figure out if they could rent them and what they could do on a small scale. And so I helped them build out these various uh, online mapping software using Google Maps and we also connected to the server um, that provided all the GPS coordinates from these devices. And so we put them on snow machines, on canoes, on various outdoor kind of...
0: That's pretty Canadian on canoes. <laughs> I love it.
2: <laughs> it turned out snowmobiles were where we found our uh, our traction on this. Um, and we were able to actually... So snowmobile races, particularly in northern Quebec and various areas, um, are incredibly popular, but not popular enough to broadcast them on television. Mm-hmm. So with the internet, when we had, I believe it was about a two-minute... Uh, Lag with the, it wasn't a lag, but there was a two minute period where you would get pings, and so every two minutes I would update the map and move the dot and leave a line behind, and you could see where the snowmobiles were going. And we got, I believe, the first race we did where we realized we were onto something. We had seven hundred and fifty thousand unique viewers over the course of two days. Wow, That's and a I lot. had forgotten, and I had forgotten to put caching on the database. <laughs> Oh shit. <laughs> it worked out. I was okay. But uh, yeah, that was a hell of a two days to uh, to have done that. And um, yeah, so that was sort of the first one. Um, through various things, that kind of ended up falling apart. That was my first introduction to investment money as well. We flew to Palo Alto, set, had set up a couple meetings. Facebook was still right downtown Palo Alto. And their security guard just about took me out because I cut through their garden to cut the corner. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing I remember from that trip. <laughs> um, so, fast forward roughly a year from there, um, ManPax was really an excuse to just make money on the internet. It was literally that simple because um, Ken, my co founder in that, and I were, um, what the hell were we doing? We were doing a, a company called Hot Bottle. Which was both him and I have a history of playing in bands, releasing records and touring, and understood how hard it is to actually book shows out of your hometown, particularly you know years ago, but the internet has changed this immensely, but years ago it was a really high long distance bill. Yeah. <laughs> if you could find the phone numbers, there used to be a book that was published once a year of people's phone numbers that, that booked shows in various cities called uh, "Book Your Own Fucking Life) <laughs> And that was literally how you booked tours as an indie band to find basements to play in and stuff. Um, So we decided we could take a a whole lot of information that was online and kind of come up with a way to automatically book a tour for a band and know that they could get good shows at certain places just by putting a bunch of plots on a map. And and we had it working. We had actually a bunch of bands in Sweden, of all places, picked up on it very early, um, introduced us to some awesome music as a result. Um, which I still listen to today, I think like five years later or six years later, however long ago that was. Um, but ultimately, I was doing a lot of contract work and couldn't afford the time on something that we hadn't yet figured out a business model for. This is a recurring thing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a recurring thing in a lot of people's lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to think I've like to think i figured it out, but the, the next year or so, we'll, uh, we'll tell. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> so anyways, through that I we I remember we had like a, a quick Skype call one uh one evening and it was like I gotta find a way to make some other money that like doesn't take a lot of effort that like sells something so that we can f I can focus more time on this and we can move this project forward faster. Cause there's money to be made here. It's just gonna take a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um and I still believe there's something in there. I think we went about it wrong initially, but there there is Something there, however, there's no money in music, so. Not
0: any <laughs> music, no, not small
2: music. Not any music, unless you're, you know, unless you're on a major, or if you're, unless you work for a major label, you're exactly. pretty much screwed. Yeah. Or you had a career more than 15 years ago in music. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was how Manpacks happened, and we um, we were kind of getting ready to roll it out. Ended up going to a conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Ken was living in Florida at the time. I was in Ottawa. I noticed there was this small conference that sounded interesting. It seemed like a lot of cool people. Um, I think the first one had Derek Sivers, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, David Hauser, who uh, was Grasshopper. Like Just all these really, like now, really heavy-hitting people that were at this, I think there might have been 150 people at this conference. Wow. And so I called up Ken, and I was like, hey, there's this conference. I can get a cheap flight to Orlando. If you can pick me up in Orlando, we'll drive up to Jacksonville, we'll go to this conference, and maybe we can launch ManPax at the conference. And so I busted my ass beforehand. I got my flight and everything. We went up. And actually, this is an awesome story. I forgot about this part of the story of ManPax. Uh, so we go, we we deal with the, the conference, meet a ton of cool people. Um, David Hauser from Grasshopper has to leave, and uh, he puts out on Twitter, and this is like, five years ago. So like Twitter was not nearly what it is today. And he just hashtags it to the conference. And I happened to be looking at the search stream for the conference. And he was like, need to get to the airport within the next uh, hour and a half. Um, If anybody could give me a ride, it'd be appreciated. And the last, the very last slide of his presentation the day before was about this new product that uh, Grasshopper was seeding called Chargeify they were still in beta they hadn't launched but he was like yeah and he explained a little bit about what it was and i was like jesus this will help me immensely do this last part that i've had to use paypal for and really hack the hell out of it to make it work and i'm not convinced it's going to work yeah so i turned to canon i was like can we give david a ride to the airport said, yeah sure we had nothing else to do so we connect with david we meet him downstairs drive him to the airport just before we get to the airport, I, I start a conversation with them. I'm like, "Chargeify sounds interesting." I was like, "We're working on this stuff. Would you like be willing to give us a, a beta invite for this ride?" <laughs> so I got a beta invite, and we were, as far as I know, we may have been the first um, company to actually launch on Chargeify publicly. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Which, which helped us immensely because we were always uh, a case study for them, and I mean what Greater thing to talk about than like underwear by mail, uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just the everything writes itself for those type of presentations, even for fire. right? Absolutely. Um, so that happened. The other thing that happened at that conference was at the after party, we met this guy from um, where the hell was he? He was from Kentucky, um, Knoxville. No, where was it? Anyway, uh. Louisville, Kentucky, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, he was from Kentucky. Him and his buddy had basically done the same thing that we had done. Saw the conference at the last minute and thought this could be cool. And so we're at the party and like we're chatting up and like he starts buying us drinks and all the rest of it. And the night gets fairly late and like he's incredibly excited about we're talking about doing man Packs. And he's like, "Hey, there's a country western bar upstairs. You want to go upstairs?" And Ken and I, who come from a long line of (laughs) indie rock and punk rock bands, kind of looked at each other and had had a few drinks and thought, well, this could be a new experience. (laughs) So we go upstairs to the country bar, and it's all, like, there's probably, like, I don't know, 500 people in there, line dancing and shit. Oh, yeah. And so this guy, I I wish I could remember his name. I want to say it was Johnny. Um, But regardless, he... I really should remember that. That's his
0: name for this podcast, Johnny. Yeah, there we go, Johnny.
2: Um, So he's insane. He actually goes and like starts line dancing and shit, and we're like, I don't know what's going on here. And as we're standing over by the bar, we see there's this pipe across the top of the bar, and it's covered in bras, (laughs) which apparently actually happens in a lot more bars than I'm aware of, just not the bars I typically hang out in. Apparently, Um, and so there's this attractive girl down at the end of the bar. And he's like he he pers- we're Ken and I are very confused by these bras. Like, why are the bras there? And he kind of tells us, and basically, if a girl gets it up onto the onto the bar or onto the pipe rather above the bar, she gets her drinks for free. Nice. So we're like, no girl's gonna do that. Like, what, like what what so like who's everybody? Like, Jesus, this sounds ridiculous. So we see this attractive girl at the end of the bar, and we've been drinking quite a bit, and we turn to this Johnny guy, and he, he's, he's a pretty cocky guy too. And he says, uh, I bet you I can get uh, her, or I forget forget who egged who on, but anyways, he goes over and starts like trying to convince this girl to do it. Needless to say, she takes her bra off, throws it up oh, onto the pipe, and then it slides off the pipe and doesn't get <laughs> But the, the kicker of this is her boyfriend walks in as she throws the bra <laughs> and sees her with, like, four guys that are laughing their asses off. So <laughs> he goes running out. She goes running out. There's, I don't even know if there was a fight or not. But Ken and I were just kind of like, we've got to get out of here. So we get out of there. It's you know probably 2 in the morning. We wake up the next morning, and theres I've got an email from PayPal from, like, 3.30 in the morning that Johnny's our first Man Packs customer. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. So, all the way
2: home from the bar. <laughs> all the way home from the bar. So our first customer was very drunk. And he stuck around for almost a year, I believe. <laughs> I'd love to find the guy again. <laughs> um, so all that happened. And then we never got another customer for three months. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So we, with the Chargeify um, beta infight and working with Chargeify, the original site allowed you to literally customize everything. And the Chargeify stuff, because they were only so far down the, the road, forced me to look at the product and simplify the hell out of it. Or I was going to have to create something like 200 um, products product on, on Chargeify yeah. and, like, to figure out how to make them work and everything. And no way in hell did I want to manage that because this wasn't even full time at this point. Um, so all that happened. Chargeify happened. Figured out, like, well, maybe we can get rid of these choices. Maybe we can get rid of this. Simplified the hell out of it. Basically, ripped off the 37th uh, Signals Basecamp um, pricing page, but made it for underwear. <laughs> and launched on January 15th, I believe, of t- 2009. I think. <laughs> it might be 2010. I forget the exact date. Um, and sorry, just knocked over the vacuum. <laughs> I'm domesticated. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, anyways, we launched on January fifteenth. Got like fifteen customers or so, which made me realize, geez, we could be onto something this time. And we kind of trickled along that way for about three months, and we were up to, I believe, roughly a hundred uh, customers or so. Yeah. And then the first week in March hit. Somebody posted us on Reddit. Somebody posted us on Hacker News at the exact same time. We got a hundred customers in like a day. It was just kind of like. Um, I don't know what's going on and like finally tracked it all back. And then we got a story in Maxim within the same period of time. And over the course of two weeks, we like tripled our signups and we're kind of like, Jesus. And I remember Ken going, well, how long do you think those will last? And I was like, nah, end of the month. And then it's done. (laughs) And so needless to say, (laughs) it didn't end. And we got uh, accepted uh, into an accelerator Raised half a million dollars, um, the company is still going right now, so...
0: Yeah, Ken's yeah. still running it.
2: Ken's still running it, yeah. can. Uh, yeah, Wicked. so I'm still helping out off and on on the side, but I decided I wanted to go do more software stuff, and somewhere in in around that period, Snappable came about, which was... Actually, both Snappable and Scratchpad were not originally my ideas. They're ideas I kind of helped um, form after the original idea. Snappable... Was um, Hannah Hannah Abaza at the time from Wedding Republic, now at Uber Flip, who I know you both know. Yep. Um, you should probably have her on here too, actually. For sure, going to. <laughs> um, so she had this idea, and I think she was at my house and we were having coffee or something, and she kind of talked up this whole thing, and I was like, huh. And I think I mocked up really, really quickly something that worked. Showed her. You know, like a week later, a working phone app that was, you know, hacked together, but it showed that we could do it. Um, Mark Mazeros, who's now actually working at 5 by in San Francisco, is just an amazing developer and a really easy guy to get along with. Um, I convinced him to help build it. He basically learned how to write iOS apps within, like, a month of, uh, of that. Um, which is just testament to how amazing he is as a as a developer. Yeah. And we just kind of went from there. And I mean, the wedding industry is a, a really tough. So I guess I didn't actually say what Snappable was. <laughs> Put a link to the site. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, it's basically a way to share for everybody at your wedding to use the app and, and share the photos they take with the bride and groom. So they have a unified mm-hmm. wedding album, and they have some basic controls over it and whatnot. Um, the challenge that uh, that we found with it is, and I think Hannah found this with Wedding Republic as well, is that um, there's not many recurring customers um, for weddings. I know you're
0: going to get into that one. I, I had something clever to say, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, you know you
2: have to rely on referrals and hope that somebody else at the wedding is getting married so that it's top of mind. Yeah. It's a tough. Uh, it's a tough one. So that one, I mean, Mark's still playing around with it. And as far as I know, it's still it makes decent money, obviously not enough to to pay the bills. But it's one of those ideas that, you know, is it a big idea? Probably not. But could it become a big enough idea to support a few people? Yeah, probably. And I think the other kind of what would have been competitors are probably figuring that out as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So right around the same time, this guy from, uh, from out here, he was actually living in Victoria at the time, Tom Williams, hit me up and I had met him two years previously at a dinner that Dan Martell had put together in San Francisco for Founders. I was out in San Francisco trying to raise money with Manpacks. Tom, I forget why Tom was there. I think there was a conference there at the time that, he, that a bunch of people were at. So Dan put this awesome um, dinner together, which I believe he still actually does. Um, so Tom and I happened to sit beside each other, stayed in contact. He knew that I had moved on from Manpacks and that I figured I was probably looking for something to do and hit me up with the, the basics of the scratch pad idea. And I kind of took it, we bounced it back and forth and ran with it. And that was when, um, that was the fall of 2012, I think. So almost two years to the day right now, actually, um, So yeah, him and I took roughly two to three months to build that out. And Scratchpad was a way, it was a Chrome extension that allowed you to clip pieces of things you liked about sites on the internet, like button styles, um, headline styles, various menus and stuff, build them into collections. And then there was a mock-up piece of it that you could take those pieces and mock stuff up so that you could show your designer, your developer, whoever. These are the things I like. This is kind of all the different things I like put together in a basic layout that I think is awesome, go turn it into something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was the one that I don't even remember. I think it might've been you, Franco, were kind of harassing me about it or something. I don't, I know it wasn't quite ready to be put on hacker news. And I remember having a G chat conversation with, you know, I was like, screw it, just put it up on hacker news. And I think you put it up for me. Yeah.
0: I, I remember putting it up. I, I think we harassed each other back and forth because I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, oh, man, I need this exact thing, um, you know, just to collect different things. And then, I, yeah, I mean, I think it, it did pretty well for itself. You got a bunch of uh, users in, in a short period of time. and
2: It did really well for itself. Um, so there was a Hacker News thing, which I was able to turn into that exact same day to um, post on technology blogs. And um, Smashing Mag picked it up. A bunch of other things, and over the course of three days, it got over three thousand signups. The kicker was on the third day, I flew to Paris, France, on a vacation I had promised my wife that at the time I wasn't going to bring my laptop. <laughs> and then
0: Franco goes and screws it up.
2: <laughs> Actually, I don't know that she. I don't know that she knows that you're the one to blame. Oh, it. She, oh <laughs> I, I have to, to, to make sure up. Cheryl doesn't
0: listen to this. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Gotta get this blame off of me. I've been living with this on my back. <laughs> I am the cause. <laughs> so, anyways, we we did a lot of te- actually. It was a really good one because we did a lot of testing back and forth to see like will people pay for this before we launch the full product. And I believe we we tried a couple of price points like five and ten dollars and stuff. Yeah. And we generated roughly two hundred, three hundred dollars through those tests. And in those tests, we did some copy tests to see what features. They really cared about. And, you know, it was incredibly smart, but at the end of the day, it turned out, um, whether it was because it was Hacker News originally or whatever, nobody actually wanted to pay for what we were doing. And I really didn't have the, um, neither of us, we weren't in the in the spot with quite enough traction to prove it out, to raise money.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I wasn't financially in a position that I could keep going on it. And so the two things just kind of collided and ultimately it never really became anything.
0: Yeah, so. but but still, I mean, like so from these from these three or four, four you know projects and startups that you've talked about, like you're obviously relying on on your design and development experience uh, and 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 knowledge to kind of shape the way you think about and, and then go and execute these projects. So how how does having both of those skill sets change the way you think about something? Obviously, you you mentioned kind of at the beginning, revenue is now becoming more of a top of line <laughs> in, <laughs> in, the, in the thought process. But I mean, but I mean, you know, how how does having both of those skill sets impact the way you think about things now?
2: Well, I mean, as far as MVPs, I can crank them out as quickly, as as quick as possible and get them to a testing stage, which is really, and then from the design stuff is affected by my knowledge of development, which means I design in a way that I know I can develop something quickly. And I develop in a way that allows me to design and like they kind of play off of each other. And oftentimes I'll design something I know I, I can't quite code. But I know that I can probably figure it out pretty quickly. And the awesome part about doing that is as I start to code it, I can change the design on the fly. Which I think from an MVP standpoint and from uh, ensuring you can get something out and just ship it as quickly as possible, it allows me to do that. Um, Where the downside probably is is that the designer side of me tends to want to perfect it a little further than maybe I need to to get it out. So, depending on what it is, sometimes that gets in the way, sometimes it doesn't. Um, in the case of Scratchpad, sometimes a third party you like yourself <laughs> harasses me enough to just get it out the door and just be like, okay, God, I know, I know there's like this many bugs, but hopefully nobody will find those bugs right away. Um, so, yeah, that uh, it definitely, I'm not, uh, I definitely like to have a good developer working with me. But for that first stage, it allows me to move really, really, really quickly to determine if there even is anything there.
1: Yeah, yeah no, that's cool. I was a huge fan of uh, of Scratchpad. I was looking forward to it when you were launching it because I could. I thought myself using it on you know an initial stage of uh, designing my, my my sites and stuff like that. So right now, you're currently part of the Hootsuite Labs team, dreaming, prototyping, and yep. launching new products. So right now, how big is the Labs team and what types of people are you working with there?
2: Yeah, so Hootsuite Labs is currently 10 people, 9 people, 10 people. Um, And I was the first real hire. They had had hired Mike, who's the head of, of Labs, and then they had taken a developer from the dev group in Hootsuite, and then I was the first true hire that was brought in. Um, and there is now, let me think here, there's four developers now, two front-end, two back-end. Well, the one guy, Chris, who was the first developer, um, is a full-stack developer. He does everything across the board and is probably the best developer I've ever worked with. Um, and then there's two front-end developers and one back-end developer, um, another designer that was hired, uh, marketer slash Growth hacker, for lack of a better term, um, and a community person, and then Mike, who has to kind of keep the ship afloat. <laughs> so that all falls under Corp Dev, which also had the other side of Corp Dev is M and A. So oftentimes, there's a, a thing when you're in a big enough company, you can buy certain technologies, and so Hootsuite has had a tendency of buying a number of things. And so they tend to go through kind of a an Short exercise – well, they, no, they go through an exercise of determining if it's worth buying versus building. Yeah. And if it's worth building, the labs team is the go-to team because we're all entrepreneurial. We all have um, the ability to, to think in a kind of lean, agile way. And just the idea is that we should never have a product or a project more than three months long. It's mostly stuck to that. Um, the challenge when you're working in an organization that right now is – I believe they're saying there are over 700 people now, which I believe. (laughs) Um, Corporate things are always going to come in, and there's just a constant fight to stay out of the corporate mandate as much as possible, and yet also ensure the projects are all within that. So the makeup is mostly developers and designers and UI people for the reason that typically we are building out
1: um, products on a fairly quick, iterative way. that's cool. So so how do you create innovative products inside of a 700-plus person company? Very, very difficultly.
2: (laughs) Um, I mean, the the mandate is that that Labs is separate from the rest of the organization. It also sits within the exact middle of the building. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a very open concept building, too. So the outside influence is very much there. So there's a constant... um, Give and take of, and for me, it was a huge learning uh, experience to to figure out how to dance around the politics um, of a big organization to ensure you're not like the 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 worst thing you can do is kind of get in there and you end up like that somebody in dev, somebody in marketing, they've created their own little fiefdom or whatever you want to call it, which is probably the wrong word. I'm not that corporate. <laughs> Um, but, like, they, they, they're they afraid you're trying to take something from them and then get fear for their job and fear for the fact that, like, maybe they can't contribute in the way you can. And, of course, the concept of a lab sounds really cool to everybody. Um, so everybody thinks you're working on great, cool things. So there's this weird kind of thing. And then when you're working on it yourself, like, it's it's kind of just another job and you're mm-hmm. busting your ass to come up with the best product you can. It's not about like it's not really about cool, although the rest of the company has this perception that it is. So the the politics of it all become, and that was where like Mike's real job was to kind of keep as much of that at bay as possible. And then I was kind of doing mostly iterate iteration on uh, coming up with ideas and then you know, kind of turning them into products. Uh, before we had hired Adam, the other designer. I was doing the full design and then even when it was just Chris and I, I would do a lot of the code as well. Um, so it was, it was kind of perfect for me to be early on in that. And then as the team grew, my, my role kind of changed more to uh, the idea iteration side of things than that. And the other thing about labs is apart from the corp dev organization, the only person um, that we really answered to was Ryan, the CEO. So you're you're pretty high up. You get a lot of visibility into a lot of things, and this is also you know given my background. One of my motivations to when I was offered the lab's position was also to understand how a company that you know started about the same time that Manpacks did managed to have so much success, mm-hmm. and like really determine what that is, and like what am I missing as an individual that hasn't allowed me to go more than like a five or six person company. So, um, you know, I feel like I learned a lot of stuff and like any organization, there's good and bad lessons you learn. Um, The bad stuff you take and you go, okay, I'm never going to do it this way. I'm going to try it a different way. Hopefully that different way Mm -hmm. is actually a step up, not a step down. Um, But I mean, the truth is what I learned most was just confidence and just literally like having the confidence that something will work out, doing something as if it's already worked out and just you know, running with it and not being afraid, even though inside you probably don't have a clue what's going on. I mean, I generally rarely have a clue what's going on.
1: <laughs> oh man, that's so cool to be able to work on like, you know, cool ideas in such a small team and being able to talk to Ryan on, you know, on a Absolutely. weekly basis. That's so awesome. So, so, what process do you go by identifying potential new products and features and, create, and creating them within the labs team?
2: So that was partly um, Corp Dev. Matt, who is the VP of Corp Dev, um, is in on all the board meetings um, with the board of directors and that. Ryan has some insight. Everybody has some various insight that provides kind of guardrails within, you know, obviously it's going to be within the social media space, given that mm-hmm. it's sweet. But within that space, that space is massive. So it could be something like we want to own, um, scheduling of messages on social media. We want to own, um, i going to be careful I don't say anything that's not released yet.
1: <laughs> um, we can we always edit it out afterwards.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we might have to wait a little while. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there, you get, basically you get parameters and within that per, those parameters, I would put together, I, I believe it was like a five slide, five to 10 slide deck depending on how far I took some of the um, screen layouts and thinking around UI, where you do a business model canvas, you come up with the kind of, who some of the competitors might be, do a competitive analysis on two to three of them, determine where the holes are, put together the concept of like the high level screens. Um, What else did we do? There was, you know, just key business points that would then get taken to a meeting with um, typically Matt, Ryan, and if there's other stakeholders within the company, those people would be in on the meeting, be presented. It would be you know, hopefully it gets green lit. Oftentimes you've got to change it or it comes back in a whole other thing. But it's based on that idea, um, an app that should be released very very soon. It was it ended up I had this idea that I had put together and it was just kind of sitting in Google Drive and um, Ryan got really excited about something, sent out an email to Mike, and then it was kind of like, oh, I've got a deck exactly for this, let's present this today. Uh, So part of it is having just uh, a pile of ideas of these decks of business model canvases and really, really quick wireframe ideas of like three to five screens that you think it might look like. And the great thing about those wireframes of how you think it might work is you really don't have to think about like how it will actually work.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so you're not bound by like reality and a lot of those. To to uh, I mean, I'm bound to the reality by my knowledge of user interfaces. But as far as going, okay, well, how does this actually get from here to there? And geez, we don't have the piece of information we need to allow them to be there. Don't have to care about that at that stage. Mm-hmm. So those that that UI generally gets thrown away and completely changed after the fact. But that's kind of that deck was kind of the way that we would just collect ideas and i mean i remember back in i think it was in june i did like five or six of these decks over the course of two weeks and so it's just like fast iteration and then waiting for the right time to
0: ensure your idea can get kind of put into motion yeah so you've already kind of uh, alluded to it a few times uh, you get that you got something new cooking up and you wanted to specifically share it with us so so what's going on what's this all about did you notice
2: I used the word was a lot when yeah, I was talking? Yeah, about I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Two so, days and
0: it's already in the past. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um,
2: yeah, I've since left labs very, very recently, depending on when you actually publish this. <laughs> um, and so as somebody who has been very entrepreneurial, who's raised money for a few ideas, who's seen ideas to fruition, um... I've, and like one of the biggest things I missed with labs was being the guy that could give the green light and could kind of run down certain paths um, much further than maybe um, things were allowed in that case, which is part of – you said earlier um, how – I think, Tyler, the question was um, how do you work within a 700-person organization to get things done? Well, mm-hmm. there is – that gets taxing after a while, particularly for somebody like me who's used to small companies that like – we can just test and we can drive and we can, like, push forward as quickly as possible. So I've always had, over the last year and a half that I was um, helping get labs off the ground and working in labs, I've always worked on the side with a bunch of stuff, tried a couple of various ideas. And back this summer, I kind of made a conscious decision that, like, it was coming close. I, I was I wanted to see what might be next. Um, started trying out two of Working with another company on something they wanted to do um, that I was working on the side because I knew one of the investors and ultimately ended up knowing the founder and, and everything else. But So that opportunity came about. I was working something, another thing with uh, Ken from Manpacks, which is called patchbay.co, um, which allows you to um, take all the various JavaScript snippets that you need to put on a website or in an application mm-hmm. like Google Analytics, uh, Intercom. Um, anything that requires um, a bit of third-party code to be put on your site, you can just paste it into PatchBay. You just use the PatchBay snippet on your site, and then the marketing person or the non-technical person can just turn it on and off as they need. They can set the variables that they need, and PatchBay just handles it all. The only, Basically, your developer is needed for five minutes, and then you never have to harass them again. And as somebody that has often been the guy that has to put this stuff on a site, it's a pain in the ass. It yeah. takes like it only takes a couple minutes, but inevitably something's not quite right, or you want to do something else, and you, it breaks your stream of uh, consciousness or whatever. So this allows the marketer just to take control. So I was doing that. That uh, should be ready to launch very quickly. I think uh, it's got a little bit more work to it. Um, then I also started doing um, some other work with uh, with a guy that had been an early Hootsuite uh, employee, went on to do um, Human API, you might know, which was uh, in AngelPad, I believe, last year. He left Human API, came back and did some contract work with Hootsuite and worked on a project that I worked very closely with, got to know each other, realized we had very similar backgrounds. And so over the course of the summer, I kind of helped him out on the side, um, putting together pitch decks, um, helping imagine the product a little bit, um, on my weekends and my evenings. And we got some really good uh, traction. We've raised uh, a bit of money. Cool. And Julian's actually in Angel Pad in New York City right now. Hmm. Um, obviously, I'm still in Vancouver, but I'll hopefully be able to go back and forth a few times. And that, so as that kind of picked up, that one will, will take my, will effectively be my full time thing right now. And so what we're doing there is is LA, LA, A-L-L-A-Y dot I-O. And it's in the HR space to um, remove the pain of HR management through benefits, payroll, and onboarding and offboarding employees. It'll be an entirely um, web-based application as well as a mobile component for employees. Um, We'll take all the kind of... Benefits messaging and that—that that nobody understands. Nobody knows what they have. Just provide it in plain English, no matter what your plan is. You connect your plan, and we do that for you. Um, we'll probably have uh, things like the ability to one-click tap and do a, a video question with somebody that actually knows stuff. Um, you'll connect your benefits, and, and this will—we'll we'll be able to provide entirely for free to the um, to the small businesses. They typically don't have this type of thing where they'll they can define onboarding stuff and that and I'm kind of doing this long-winded pitch, which proves that I probably need to hone the pitch a little more.
0: <laughs> but we're early days, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, like- but it's a huge space mm-hmm. too. There's so much going on in there. It's
2: a so massive space. The Jesus. the lead gen for for benefits for employees, the lead gen market alone is a thirty-five billion dollar market. Wow. So it's a massive space. And this is another thing I learned at Hootsuite was if you are going to um, Commit to a startup that you want to want to actually turn into a business. Because personally, I hate being a startup. My goal is to create a business. I want to be a startup as, as short-term as possible. I want to get to the business side as, as fast as possible. Um, and if you want to do that, the best thing to do is pick a massive market mm-hmm. that allows you to screw up multiple times and not lose the overall opportunity. And I mean, if you look at Hootsuite, that's basically what they've done, Um you know the other big company in in Canada Shopify I'm sure they've screwed up multiple times I don't know <laughs> as much about them but I'm sure they have and it's not though know, e-commerce is a big enough market that they've figured that that shit out so it's kind of that's more my my and also whenever I've had companies I absolutely hate the HR piece I will wait till the very very last minute my accountant right now is still <laughs> on stuff for From me last year <laughs> From June, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't hear this.
0: Because <laughs> then he's going to know you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. he,
2: he, he harasses me. He also has my wife's email address. Oh, there you
1: go. <laughs> so are you able to share with us um, a story that no one knows that's you know funny or unbelievable about yourself or the companies that you've run? Besides the country bar. <laughs> yeah, besides the country bar. That's a pretty good one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I uh, circumvented this question with that story. <laughs> Um, geez, I don't know. I mean, not many people probably know that I'm a drummer and that I've played in touring rock bands and stuff. I don't know that that's that. Un- Do you still drum? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, actually, awesome. I was playing in a band uh, recently even out here in Vancouver. Nice. Um, yeah, I've got an electronic drum kit in the basement and a practice space down the road, so... That's cool. Definitely keep active with that. But the challenge is I'm I'm pretty straight up and honest and, like fairly blunt about a lot of things so there's not really anything unbelievable that people would believe about me because they just kind of figure if somebody says it
0: it's probably true <laughs> all right well we'll stick to the bra story <laughs> that was pretty, yeah, pretty good was so i should have kept that story for this no, question. No, no, it was, it's good, it's good. so are there any like uh, apps tools or books that you're completely obsessed with right now and use all the time uh you know what? I saw this question when you were, when you, <laughs> and you're like, just, I
2: hate it. <laughs> I just, I yeah, I just don't know. Um, I mean, I'm, Slack is probably the uh, the biggest one that I'm very obsessed with, and have like w- gone over their onboarding process multiple times. Um, looked at how they um, how they've put together the overall app. I um, found out that do you know Labs from Victoria, PC? No, they've no. done a they've done a lot of UI for a lot of uh, various products that it turns out I love. They actually did a lot of the UI work for it. So I went back and re um, reacquainted myself with some of their work. And so a lot of this new work on both Patch Bay and of has both been really um, influenced by a lot of the Slack stuff. Um, the good news is I, I'm, I'm pretty shameless in stealing things. It's just... It turns out I'm really bad at copying, so it ends up looking like my stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's definitely the, a big one. I'm just looking at my phone here to see if, uh, if there's anything that will ring a bell. But, I mean, I don't know.
0: It's tough. Slack's a pretty good one, though. They're is awesome.
2: it's, Yeah, it's, uh, and, I mean, the, the growth of that company and just the way that they've gone about being very, very product-focused – and in my mind, product is like the best marketing you could ever have, um, mostly because I like to build product. So, you know, obviously what I do, I think, is the most important thing in the world. <laughs> but hopefully there's a bit of truth to it. So yeah, definitely Slack. That's the only one that comes to mind off the top of my head.
0: That's all good. Anyway, <laughs> I appreciate your time, man. It was really good having you on the show. Cool. Epic hopefully, stories. Rambling. <laughs> no, it's all good. That's was awesome. Cool. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.